Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. On today's episode, we'll start with some news around Napoli. We'll also cover the latest round of action in Serie B as well as Napoli Feminile's match last weekend against Juventus. In Part 2, we'll review Napoli's draw to Real Sociedad in the Europa League. And in Part 3, we'll preview Napoli's match on Sunday against Sampdoria. Before we get to the Napoli news, though, I want to start with a few quick words on the passing of Italian legend Paolo Rossi. Rossi passed away at the young age of 64, only a few weeks after we lost Maradona. Unfortunately, like with Maradona, I was too young to see Rossi play live. In fact, in Rossi's best year, which was 1982, I was not yet born. But legends are legends because their stories survive long beyond they do, and Rossi is no exception. Of course, his greatest accomplishment was winning the World Cup in 1982. He also won the Golden Boot and the Golden Ball during that tournament, and he won the Ballon d'Or that year. I thought Gazzetta's eulogy was the best. They said he was the one who beat Zico's Brazil, Maradona's Argentina, Vaniak's Poland, and in the final, the Germany of Rumenega. Rossi also enjoyed success at the club level, starting with Vicenza. In 76-77, he scored 21 goals, helping Vicenza earn promotion to Serie A. The following season, he scored 24 goals, and Vicenza finished runners-up in Serie A. Unfortunately, the season after that, they headed back down to Serie B, and after one season with Perugia, Rossi joined Juventus. With Juve, Rossi won two Scudetti, a Coppa Italia, a UEFA Super Cup, and a European Champions Clubs Cup. Now... I know he played for Juve, but some players transcend club football. That's how I feel about guys like Gigi Buffon and Andrea Pirlo today. And I'm sure there are Interisti who love Gennaro Gattuso because sometimes what players do for their national team is more important than what they do for their clubs. 
So while I never got the chance to see him play, I definitely have an appreciation for what he accomplished and how much he meant to Italians. And I wish Paolo Rossi's friends and family all the very best. Okay, let's move on to some Napoli news. I have just a few quick updates to provide on some of our players. First, there were reports that LCQ Sai and Amir Rachmani had both tested positive again. Those reports are false. They are both negative. Kevin Malqui had been out of action for the last little while, but he returned to training with the group on Friday. Friday also marked the one-year anniversary of Gennaro Gattuso joining Napoli. With our Napoli Femminile, Depi Chatsinicolao underwent surgery on Friday to reconstruct the cruciate ligament in her left knee. The club announced that on Twitter and that the surgery was a success. We also signed two new players. Last week, we announced that Icelandic defender Gudni Arnadotter joined on loan from Milan. And on Saturday, the club announced that Martina Fuzzini joined on loan from Fiorentina. We'll come back to Napoli Femminile and their match against Juventus in just a bit. I'm not going to cover the European action from this week. If you like, check out the latest episode of the Cultural Connection podcast. I was a guest host for their last episode, and we covered all of those games there. We will start with the action from match day 10 of Serie B, which was played last weekend. Pescara beat Ascoli 2-0, but Ascoli were fortunate to concede only two. Ascoli keeper Nicola Leali made some huge saves in this match. Cremonese beat Antella 2-1 on a brace by Luca Strizzola. Frosinone came back from two goals down to beat Kevo 3-2, which was unfortunate because Kevo scored two gorgeous goals in this match. Lecce drew Venezia 2-2. The league's top scorers got in on the action in this one. Marco Mancosu opened the scoring with Francesco Forte scoring a brace to give Venezia the lead and to bring his tally to eight goals, which at that point was most in the league. Forte's second was a ridiculous left-footed volley where he just directed his touch from around the penalty spot to the top corner at the far post. Then in the 77th minute, Massimo Coda equalized with his 8th of the year, so he tied Forte at the top of the race for Capocannoniere. Salernitana beat Cittadella 1-0. Spal tranced Pisa 4-0. Alberto Paloschi scored a brace in that one. Again, there were some beautiful goals in this match. Paloschi's second was a backhill volley at the back post. Regina beat Brescia 2-1. 39-year-old German Dennis scored a gorgeous free kick for Regina, which turned out to be the winner. Reggiana beat Monza 3-0. This was a rough week for Monza. They tied Vicenza midweek 1-1 before losing this match. The good news, or perhaps the bad news depending on how you want to look at it, is this week Monza signed Mario Balotelli. Speaking of Vicenza, they also drew Cosenza 1-1 on match day 10, and Pordenone drew Empoli 0-0. A couple of makeup games were played this week as well. Cremonese and Brescia drew 2-2 in their match day 5 game, and Pisa beat Ascoli 2-1 in their match day 7 game. So after 10 rounds, Lernitana have moved to top spot, two points ahead of Spal. Lecce, Empoli, Frosinone, Venezia, Cittadella, and Kiev will round out the promotion playoff spots. Pescara, Ascoli, and Antella are in the relegation spots. And Cosenza and Cremonese are in the relegation playout spots. We'll close part one with Napoli Femminile's match against Juventus last weekend, which was the first ever meeting between these clubs. Like our men, our women did an excellent job of honoring the late Diego Maradona. Our jerseys had a special Dios patch. We also wore a black band on our arms. A huge Maradona banner was placed pitch side with the words Legenda Napoli ti amera per sempre, which means legend Napoli will love you forever, followed by Adios Diego. A minute of silence was observed before the start of the match as well. Napoli were without a few key players for this match. I mentioned Chatsi Nicolau had surgery. Team captain Paolo Di Marino and Anna Martinez were both out with injuries as well. Giuseppe Marino lined up in a 4-3-3 with Anna Mangi in goal. 
Alexandra Hewn and Federica Di Crescio played in the center of the defense. Mariah Cameron played at right back and Elisabetta Oliviero played at left back. Sofia Kjensen played as the center midfielder with Emma Erico to her right and Sarah Huchette to her left. Federica Caffarata played on the left wing, Jenny Hillman played on the right wing, and Evi Popadinova played at striker. Juventus got the first good chance in just the third minute of the match, but Mangi did really well to stop Anahita Zahamian's header. Napoli's first chance came in the 10th minute after Erico's press forced Sembrent to turn the ball over in front of her own goal, but Bacic was really quick off her line to stop Erico's shot. Napoli opened the scoring in the 39th minute with a beautiful goal from Sarah Huchette. The play started from a throw-in. Caffarata and Hillman both did very well in the build-up. Caffarata played an incisive square ball from the left side of the box to Hillman at the penalty spot. Hillman did really well to control the low hard pass with her back to the goal before laying off to Huchette and she did the rest. She blasted her shot from outside the box about waist high, past an outstretched Doris Bacic and into the side of the goal. Juventus were fortunate that that goal was scored late in the half because Napoli were all over them after that goal. They had the break to reset and came out looking very strong at the start of the second half. Juve had a great chance to equalize in the 56th minute. Barbara Barancea broke free on the left side and dribbled around Mangi but missed the wide open goal. Juve did equalize in the 60th minute after a bit of a scramble in front of goal. Our defending was really poor on this goal. First Oliveto was unable to head the ball clear. It was just out of her reach. Then Hune failed to head the ball to safety. Instead she headed straight into Barancea. The ball deflected to Maria Alves and she headed in. Juve went ahead on yet another penalty called against us. Unfortunately, the stream that I watched on cut out right at that moment, so I didn't see the foul, but from what I've read, it was a questionable decision. Cristiana Girelli stepped up and converted the penalty to give Juve the 2-1 lead, which is how this one ended. So Napoli remain at the bottom of the table on just one point. I have to say though, this team has been really unfortunate and they're far better than a last place team. So hopefully their fortunes change soon so we can stay up in Serie A. So that'll do for part one. In part two, we'll review Napoli's draw to Real Sociedad in the Europa League. Next, we'll review Napoli's Europa League match against Real Sociedad. Here's how it went. Napoli then in their usual sky blue shirts, white shorts, sky blue socks. Give an early touch to the Colombian international goalkeeper, David Ospina. Therese Mertens with the corner. Out as far as Zielinski. Oh, what a hit from Piotr Zielinski. Only the ninth goal that Real Sociedad have conceded all season. In this, their 18th match, and it was a peach from the right foot of Zielinski. But the only goal that we have had came late on in the first half. Tremendous right-footed volley from Piotr Zielinski. Wonderful technique, gave Alejandro Romero absolutely no chance, this man, with the only goal so far. So Napoli at the 
moment we're at looking good for a place in the last 32 Real Sociedad looking over their shoulders at what RZ Altmar are doing in Croatia against Rijeka half time here in Group F Napoli 1 Real Sociedad 0 they know they have to score at least one goal here a draw would be enough for the team in the dark strip here if RZ Altmar fail to win in Croatia Baron Ajea in goes William Jose. Yanazai couldn't get a touch. It's Jose! It's a massive goal for Real Sociedad! William Jose! Rijeka have won in Croatia. And the referee brings the match to a conclusion in a rainy Naples. Gattuso's side looked good for all three points, but the draw is enough for them to be confirmed as group. Winners. As you heard, this match finished in a 1-1 draw on goals from Piotr Zielinski and Willian Jose. Once again, this was not Napoli's best performance, but I think that was in large part dictated by the circumstances. For the second match in a row, we had a dreadful first half, but were bailed out by a brilliant strike against a very weak Crotone. We were the worst team in the first half, but Lorenzo Insigne scored a gorgeous bending strike. Then in this match, we had a very bad first half, and we were bailed out by a fantastic volley from Piotr Zielinski. In the end, all that matters is that we got the result we needed, and with the help of Rijeka, we won the group. In this review, we'll review our three keys to the match, then I'll try to convince you that this performance wasn't as bad as it might have seemed watching live. Yes, we were very fortunate, but we also did some things very well. But before we do that, we'll go over the starting lineups. Sociedad lined up in a 4-3-3 with Alex Ramiro in goal. Robin Lenormand started at centre-back next to Igor Zubaldia, who started over Modibo Sanyan. Nacho Monreal started at left-back and Joseba Zalduya started at right-back over Gorozabel. Ander Guevara started in the centre of the midfield with Mikel Merino on his left and Martin Zubimendi on the right. The front three was very different than we expected. William Jose started at striker and Adnan Januzaj started at left wing. We had neither of them starting, but we did have Porto starting on the right wing. Napoli had two changes to our predicted 11. Gattuso lined up in the 4-2-3-1 once again. David Ospina started his third straight match. We had Alex Meret starting in goal. Kalidou Koulibaly and Nikola Maksimovic started at centre-back. Fauzi Goulam started at left-back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo started at right-back. Tiamoui Bakayoko and Fabian Ruiz started in the double pivot. Lorenzo Insigne started on the left wing and Matteo Politano started on the right wing. Finally, Piotr Zielinski started in the 10 spot behind Dries Mertens, which was the other difference. We had Andrea Petania starting there. Okay, so let's review our three keys to the match. The first was that we needed to be very disciplined in our defending, and I don't think we succeeded in this regard. Sociedad had plenty of chances to score in this match. In the 13th minute, Willian Jose had an excellent scoring opportunity, but his hard shot caught too much of the goal, and Ospina made the easy save. The defending in the buildup was really poor. First, both Mario Rui and Koulibaly collapsed on Yanuzai on the wing, and Insigne was tracking back on that same wing as well. Bakayoko and Fabian were both very casually jogging back. Then on the square ball, Di Lorenzo and Maksimovic both closed down Porto, leaving Willian Jose unmarked at the top of the box. And though the shot was there, a better shot may have been available had Willian Jose looked up, because both Merino and Monreal had made late runs and neither of them were marked either. Monreal is the left back, so Lozano should have been tracking back to pick him up. Then, of course, there was that glorious chance that Porto missed in the 19th minute. 
On that play, Mario Rui and Koulibaly were both caught a little too high, and Di Lorenzo had to move over to close down Willian Jose. That left the entire left side open for Porto because Maximovic could not get back quickly enough. Throughout this match, Napoli were defending in numbers, but we did not do a very good job of holding our shape and we chased the ball a lot. That allowed Sociedad to get quite a few quality opportunities, especially Mikel Merino, but fortunately his finishing was poor on this night. Ironically, I didn't think our shape was so bad on the late goal by William Jose. That was just a poor clearance by Fauzi Gulam, who had replaced Mario Rui at left back. The second key to the match was we needed to be better from set pieces and crossing the ball, though we didn't get forward too often, and when we did it was usually on the counterattack. I think we actually achieved this goal. Napoli had three corner kicks in this match and all three were played direct, which is very unusual for us. I'm sure Gattuso watched the Rijeka match and knew that they scored twice from corner kicks, both of which were played direct. The first was a deep corner taken by Insigne and it led to a scoring opportunity for Bakayoko after he did well to win the ball in the air. The second was taken by Dries Mertens and of course it led to the Zielinski goal. I think that was certainly well deserved for how he's been playing since returning to full fitness after recovering from COVID. And we learned from the goal celebration that Piotr and his wife Laura are expecting their first child so congratulations to both of them. The third corner kick was taken direct by Fabian. I was very happy to see Fabian take that corner. That's something I've been hoping for since watching Fabian play for Spain against Germany in the Nations League. Though the corner didn't result in a goal scoring threat, it was a very well taken corner kick. The third key was that we needed to keep our composure, whether we went up or fell behind. I'm going to call this one a push. In the first half hour of the match, we didn't look composed at all. Sociedad pressed high and forced us to make poor decisions. We often tried to pass our way out of the back and instead conceded possession in dangerous areas. Other times we played the ball long, but Mertens is just not a good target man. At his age, he lacks the pace that Osman or Lozano have, and he lacks the size and strength that Andrea Pitania offers. However, after the goal, we did settle down, and Gattuso made a couple of important adjustments that helped as well. In the second half, he continued to defend in the 4-5-1, but instead of Mertens hanging up top, Gattuso had Lozano stay up there. With his pace, Lozano was far more effective as the target man. He had a few opportunities on the counterattack in the second half. Then Gattuso replaced Lozano with Matteo Politano and Mertens with Petania. I saw some complaints online about removing Lozano because he was looking dangerous, but these changes did make sense to me. Really what Gattuso did here was replace his target man. Because of his size and strength, Petania took over as the target man, which meant Lozano wasn't required any longer. Instead, you want a player who can play off of Petania, and that's Politano. In a way, it's almost better to think of these changes as Petania for Lozano and Politano for Mertens. This move was really effective as well. On a few occasions, we hoofed the ball up forward, and Petania won the ball and held up play until support arrived. That helped us to maintain possession and take some of the pressure off our back line. So with one key failed, one achieved, and one pushed, a draw was a good result for Napoli. To close the review, I do want to comment on two things that impressed me in this match. The first was that we made some really nice passes, which I didn't really pick up on watching it live. In the ninth minute, Bakayoko played a lovely ball to Lozano on the wing, and he played a dangerous low cross into the area, but Mertens wasn't able to direct his shot on target. In the 25th minute, Mertens played a gorgeous through ball to Lozano, who appeared to be fouled by Zubeldia, who was the last man back. That should have been a straight red card. Zubeldia didn't get any of the ball. Unfortunately, there's no VAR in the group stage of the Europa League, so all we got out of it was a corner kick. 
Lozano got another excellent chance in the second half after two excellent passes. The first was a low hard pass from Maximovic to Mertens in the middle of the pitch, and then Mertens played an amazing one-touch pass to send Lozano down the wing. Lozano did well to create the shot, but lost his balance right before pulling the trigger. Mertens played another excellent ball into the area, also intended for Lozano, but the Mexican found himself in the back of the goal while the ball stayed out. Finally, in the 68th minute, Bakayoko played a perfectly weighted ball over the top to Lozano, and again he was fouled by the last man back. This time it was Lenormand. Again, no red card was shown. Lenormand was only shown a yellow, and the referee claimed that Lozano was running away from the goal, and therefore this was not a scoring opportunity. The second positive I want to talk about is Mario Rui, which again, I didn't appreciate his performance watching live, but his contribution stood out to me watching it a second time. Credit to Gattuso for even starting Rui, Fauzi Gulam started the last two Europa League matches, but as we discussed in our preview, it made sense to start Rui because of Sociedad's pace. I thought Rui made a number of excellent individual plays. On the play in the first half where Zubaldia should have been shown a red, the counterattack started with Mario Rui anticipating the pass and winning the tackle. Shortly after the start of the second half, Rui got a vital touch on Monreal's low cross which seemed destined for Yanozai at the back post. A few minutes after that, he blocked a shot from Andoni Gorothabel, and in the 48th minute, he played a lovely sombrero to get past Gorothabel before eventually earning a foul. So even though this was a poor performance as a whole, I don't think it was as bad as it seemed watching the match live. So that will do for part 2. In part 3, we'll preview our match on Sunday against Sampdoria. final part we'll preview Napoli's match on Sunday against Sampdoria. Sampdoria come into this match in really poor form. They failed to record a win in their last five Serie A matches and they lost to Derby in the Coppa Italia during that stretch as well. What's worse is other than Milan these matches were not against the toughest competition in Serie A. After three impressive wins against Fiorentina before we knew they sucked then against Lazio and Atalanta, Sampdoria were unable to beat Genoa twice, Cagliari, Torino and Bologna. Much of their recent struggles have to do with their inability to score. After scoring 10 goals in their first 5 Serie A matches, Sampdoria have scored only 5 goals in their last 5 matches. But as always, no team in Serie A should be taken lightly, especially this season and especially the Sampdoria side. They seem to step up their game against big clubs. Other than the 3-0 loss to Juventus in the opening match of the season, Sampdoria have been very good against the big teams. I mentioned they beat Lazio and Atalanta in back-to-back games. Their most recent match was a 2-1 loss to Milan, but that match could have easily ended in a draw with some of the chances that Sampdoria missed. 
Fabio Cagliarella, Sampdoria's top scorer with five goals on the season. The Napoli 10 and former Napoli player spoke to Gazzetta dello Sport about his time playing for Napoli and about Maradona, with this match being the first Serie A match at the newly named Stadio Diego Armando Maradona. He talked about his first match for the Azzurri against Livorno. In that match, Cagliarella hit the bar with a shot from midfield, which most of us probably remember, but what we didn't know is the first thing that came to his mind after that shot was Maradona. Cagliarella said he would trade all 11 goals he scored that season to have that one shot go in. He also talked about his admiration for Maradona. Cagliarella described himself as an amateur compared to his idol. He said his father recorded every match and he used to watch every goal. His father took him to the San Paolo to see Maradona when he was 7 years old, but Maradona didn't play that match, but he likes to understand who Maradona was in the locker room and on the pitch. He recounted the charity match that Maradona played against the will of the club and how that match was played in the mud. Meanwhile, he complains about half of a hole on the pitch. So this will definitely be an emotional match for Qualiarella. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Santoria's formation is really difficult to predict. Claudio Ranieri has already used five different formations in only 10 Serie A matches. However, all his formations have a four-man back line. Emil Audaro will start in goal. At centre-back, Ranieri has rotated between Lorenzo Tonelli, Alex Ferrari, and Maya Yoshida. Tommaso Agello has been a fixture at left-back. Bartosz Berzinski is normally a fixture at right back, but he left the Milan match only 20 minutes in with a muscle strain, so he's likely out for this match. Kaike Roca is the only other right back Sampdoria have, but I don't think Ranieri will throw the 19-year-old into the starting 11. I think it's more likely that Tonelli slides out to the right side and Ferrari and Yoshida play at center back. The front six is where Ranieri has changed his look quite a bit, which then dictates which players start, but it seems the 4-4-1-1 is the most common. The problem with Sampdoria's squad is they want to defend and counter, but their main striker is a 37-year-old Cagliarella who doesn't have the pace anymore. Ranieri tried playing Manolo Gabbiadini next to Cagliarella against Milan in the 4-4-2, but that didn't really work either. Federico Bonazzoli would have been the perfect player in that role, but he was loaned out to Torino at the end of the summer transfer window. I'm expecting to see the front six we saw Sampdoria play against Torino. That match finished 2-2, which is the only point Sampdoria have earned in the last four matches. In that match, Jakob Bianco played on the left wing and Antonio Candreva played on the right wing. Albin Ekdal played alongside Morten Thorsby in the center of the midfield. Valerio Vera played just in front of them and just behind Cagliarella. For Napoli, Gattuso will likely line up in the 4-2-3-1 once again. David Ospina has now started three consecutive matches, so I think we'll see Alex Meret start in goal. I suspect Gattuso will rest Ospina here so he's fresh for our next match, which is a big one against Inter. At center back, we should see Kaldu Koulibaly and Kostas Manolas. Even though Gattuso will probably want Mario Rui to play against Inter, I think he's still going to start over Fauzi Gulam here. I'll explain why when we get to our three keys to the match. Giovanni Di Lorenzo is really the only option at right back with Kevin Malqui just getting back from injury and Elsie Kusai having not returned to full fitness yet. In the midfield, I think we'll see Diego Demme and Fabian Ruiz start in the double pivot, though I'm not terribly confident that Fabian starts here. I could see Gattuso starting Bakayoko and Demme together, but I think that would be far too defensive against a team that is likely to sit back. Until Victor Osman returns, which according to the latest reports may not be until January, I think we will see Zielinski in the 10 spot and Dries Mertens and Andrea Petania share responsibilities at striker. I think Petania will start here to give Mertens a rest before the Inter game. Lorenzo Insigne will start on the left wing, and with Lozano starting against Real Sociedad, I think we'll see Matteo Politano start on the right wing. 
Next, let's talk about our three keys to the match. Most of these are based on the assumption that Sampdoria are going to play against us the same way they played against Milan. In that match, Sampdoria sat back and defended, seemingly playing for a nil-nil draw. They only started to push after Milan scored, and even then, they didn't really start pushing until the final half hour of the match. The first key is we need to take advantage of our fullbacks. I mentioned earlier that I would explain why I think Mario Rui will get the start in this match. The reason is because Sampdoria's regular starting right back Berzinski is injured and Sampdoria don't really have a suitable replacement. They have to either start a 19 year old or a center back in that position. If Sampdoria sit back like they did against Milan, our fullbacks will need to get forward to support the attack. I've said a few times on this podcast that Insignia and Mario Rui have developed great chemistry together. Insignia likes to cut to his favorite right foot, which creates space for Rui to overlap. I think against those weaker options at right back, we definitely have the advantage on the left wing, and we need to exploit that. This is also the reason I expect Matteo Politano to start. I think he has better chemistry with Giovanni Di Lorenzo on the right side than Lozano does. The second key to the match is we need to be patient. Actually, this one applies equally to our team and to our fans. If Sampdoria are dropping everyone behind the ball, their final third is going to be very crowded, which is going to be very difficult to break down. Because we like to hold the ball, don't be surprised to see a lot of horizontal and back passes while we patiently look for openings. We'll probably see some turnovers trying to force the play as well, but it's important that we stay patient and keep working the ball around because we will eventually get our chances. What we don't want to see is our players get frustrated with each other because that will only make us play worse. The third key to the match is that we have to play a full 90 minutes. This one applies more in the case where we take a lead. I want us to stay on the offensive and push for at least a second goal. Sometimes the best defense is a good offense. In that match against Milan, Sampdoria scored a late goal to cut the lead to 1 and then they nearly equalized at the end of the match so we have to play the full 90. The head official for this match is Federico Lapenna, his assistants are Matteo Passetti and Manuel Berti, the fourth official is Marco Piccinini, and on the VAR is Luigi Nasca, assisted by Alessandro Costanzo. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 2-0 Napoli win on goals from Andrea Petagna and Matteo Politano. I think Petagna is going to get plenty of service in this match with Napoli attacking on the wings and playing in the cross. He should also get chances for rebounds if Insigne and Politano are cutting into the middle and shooting from outside the box. I think Sampdoria will have very little of the ball, and though I think Pagliarella will be motivated, I think he's going to be on an island for most of this match. What we really need to see from this Napoli side is a better start. Over the last two matches, we've been outplayed in the first half an hour, and if Sampdoria manage to score, they're going to make it very difficult for us to find any space. So that's my preview of Napoli versus Sampdoria. That will also do it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends and give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at ForzaNapoliPod. We'll talk to you again next week to review this match and to preview our next match, which is a huge one against Inter. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli Sempre. Tu cor ingrato, que o despiete, fame não vou. Vai ver, 
Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.